thank you for just the blessing of coming together as a body of Christ, Lord. One body, Lord, and to glorify you and to, to worship you and to love you and to love others, to love those in the church and to love those outside of the church. And Father, I pray that you would speak to our hearts today, Lord. Uh, this is such a, a, a controversial issue, Lord, that I'm going to speak on today. And I pray that you help me through your spirit to interpret it the best way that I can. So, Father, we love you and thank you. Father, I decrease that you would increase. I empty myself of myself, so fill me with yourself that everything that I say and do, every thought that enters my mind will be of you and not of me. Pray this in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, amen. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 14 is today's text. We're going to cover the whole chapter. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. We're now in part 26 of our series, Undivided. Part 26 of Undivided. And as always, before we dive into the text, I want to do a quick review from last week's text. It was, it was all of chapter 13. And you might remember that there Paul's emphasis was on love. Someone say love. Not Eros love, not Storge love, not Phileo love, but Agape love. Say Agape love. And this is the love that God commands. It's love of choice, the love that we as Christians ought to be marked by and the love we ought to display to those inside the church and those outside the church. Now, in verses 1 through 3, Paul shows us the preeminence of love. Remember that? The preeminence of love, that love is above the way or higher, say higher, than spiritual gifts. In other words, it doesn't matter what I say, what I believe, what I do. Without love, it's just noise. It's nothing, right? It's nothing. It profits me nothing. It's worthless. I'm bankrupt without love. And in verses 4 through 7, Paul shows us the properties of love, the properties of love, in other words, the characteristics or qualities of true Christ-like love. And he tells us what love is, what love does not do, and then what love does. And then in verses 8 through 13, Paul shows us the permanence of love. And he says, love never fails. Say that. Say that. Love never fails. He's talking about agape love. That kind of love never fails. It never fades out. It never becomes obsolete. It never ends. And then in verse 13, he says this, And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is what? Say it. Love. Love. This now brings us to today's text, and the title of my message today is In the Church. Everyone say that. Now say it with more enthusiasm. Say, In the Church. Now, we need to remember why Paul wrote this letter. There was division, division, in the Corinthian church. And I want to remind you, friends, this is a corrective letter. It's a corrective letter. Remember, in, in, in chapters 11 through 14, Paul addressed specific problems of worship in the Corinthian church. In fact, Paul's exhortations to the Corinthian church concerning spiritual gifts consist of chapters 12 through 14. Now, the context, I want you to get this, the context, a context, because context is important, right? The context of this chapter is when the church gathers together, the church gathers together, the church should be displaying love, acting in love while using spiritual gifts. 
And what Paul is doing, Paul is showing the Corinthian believers this is how prophecy works in the church. This is how tongues works in the church. And you see, friends, they were abusing and misusing the gifts, especially the gift of, of tongues. And they were drawing attention to themselves. It was about self-gratification, and they were causing chaos and confusion. There was no consideration for the other believers inside the church. So before we move forward here, I just want to say a few things about the gift of tongues. It is one of the most, if not the most, controversial gift in the New Testament. And sadly, this gift has divided many churches. There are those who disregard the gift. There are those who over, overemphasize the gift. And there are those who understand it in its proper function. I want, to, I want to remind you that in Paul's list of gifts in chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians, chapter 12, you might remember, remember this. He gave a list, two lists of spiritual gifts. In chapter 12, verses 8 through 10, and also in verse 28. And there, as he gave that list, tongues, you'll notice that tongues are last on the list. Now, it is a gift. Say, it is a gift. It is a gift. Therefore, you cannot learn to speak in tongues. If somebody tries to teach you to speak in tongues, that is not biblical. It's a gift given by God through his Holy Spirit. Can I get an amen? Also, I want to say this. Not every, not every believer has this gift. Not every believer has this gift. Chapter 12, verse 30, what did Paul say? He said, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers? Do all have the gift of healing? Do all speak in tongues? And that's in the negative. The obvious answer is what? No, no. I also want to say this. You do not need to speak in tongues to be saved. And there are some denominations, I have relatives from that denomination, that believe that you need the gift of tongues to be saved. So according to some of my relatives, I'm not saved. Okay, and I'll explain that later because I just gave away that I don't speak in tongues. Okay? But, but Paul makes it clear that not all speak in tongues, right? In fact, if you need to speak in tongues to be saved, that would mean that salvation is no longer by grace, but by works. Now, I just gave it away. Do I speak in tongues? The answer is no. And I, I've been open to it. I've been open to the gift. God hasn't given it to me. I've been open-minded for that. And by the way, we should be open-minded just as long as your brains don't fall out. Yeah? Right? Someone asked me a while back, do you speak in an unknown tongue, Pastor? And I said, no, I have a hard enough time controlling the tongue that I do know. But it is a gift. It is a gift. I'm going to try my best. I am unschooled. I don't have any biblical training. To do my best to give you the best interpretation I can um, from this chapter. Okay? Number one, three points if you already say yes. Number one is edification. Say that. Edification. Talk about building up, edifying, right? And look at verse 1 with me. Paul writes, follow the way of love. Did you get that? Say love. I want to stop there. Say follow the way of love. Say that. The way of love. Okay, so this chapter is set up by chapter 12, verse 31, where he says, I will show you the most excellent way. That most excellent way was what? Love, right? 
in all of chapter 13, he speaks about love, right? And now here in verse 1, he says, follow the way of what? Love. In other words, pursue it. The New Living Translation says, let love be your highest goal. The message says it like this. Go after a life of love as your life depends on it because it does. Say love. Come on. So we are, as Christians, talking about agape love, God's love. We are to pursue after it. We are to strive after it. Okay, uh, We are to be consistently, strive after it consistently and also habitually. Love, agape love, listen now, friends, should be our ultimate goal. Now, if you're saved, say amen. I want you to get this. As Christians, those of us who call ourselves Christians... We must always, say always, have agape love working, got to get this now, working in the exercising of our spiritual gift or gifts. There must be love when we exercise our spiritual gift or gifts. We are to make love, listen, we are to make love our number one aim and chief priority because love, listen now, love is a more excellent and higher way than that of spiritual gifts. Without love, whatever I do, it means nothing, right? So follow the way of love, let's read on, and eagerly desire spiritual gifts. Say that, say that, spiritual gifts. I want to stop there. Listen, there was nothing wrong. Listen, there was nothing wrong for the Corinthian believers to desire spiritual gifts. Nothing wrong with that. The problem was they made it into an obsessive pursuit when the main pursuit should be love. And eagerly desire spiritual gifts, let's read on, especially the gift of what? Prophecy. Prophecy, not tongues, prophecy. And we know that prophecy is the ability to speak the mind of God by preaching the Bible or telling something which God spontaneous brings to mind. Now I want you to notice the contrast here. Stay with me now. Verses 2 and 3, the contrast. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. I want you to underline that, highlight that, circle that, okay? For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to who? God. Indeed, listen to what he says. No one understands him. Did you get that? Why? He utters mysteries with his spirit. Verse 3. But everyone who prophesies speaks to who? Men. For their strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. So there's a difference between tongues and prophecy. I want you to follow me here, okay? Tongues is God word, not man word. Tongues is God word, not man word. It's God word, not man word. In tongues, a person is speaking to God, not to man, but to God. In other words, as a person speaks in tongues, it's worship, it's praise, and it's prayer to God. Now notice, no one understands a person who speaks in a tongue. Paul says that, right? Right? And Paul states later, unless, unless there's someone with the gift of interpretation. Now I want to point out that tongues in the book of Acts, and we went through the book of Acts for almost, what, four or five months maybe? Tongues in the book of Acts are intelligible languages. Intelligible, intelligible languages that were understood by different people from different nations. 
What Paul's addressing here in chapter 14, got to get this, are unintelligible languages. There's a difference that need interpretation because they are what? They were unintelligible. No one understands him. If you got it, say got it. So tongues is God word, not man word. Prophecy is man word from God. Prophecy is man word from God. It's from God through someone giving, as we said, a sermon or a message. It's an exhortation. It's, it's from God through someone telling something that God spontaneous brings to mind. So follow me here. With tongues, there's an, an intelligibility problem no one understands. But prophecy, with prophecy, everyone, say everyone, understands. Are you guys getting this? Now notice the gift of prophecy is not only directed towards men, but it is also positive, say positive, in its character. Let's go back to verse 3. But everyone who prophesies speaks to men for their what? Strengthening, that's edification. Encouragement, that's exhortation and comfort. So I want you to follow me here. Strengthening. Prophecy strengthens us. That's what it does. Prophecy strengthens the body of Christ. That's edification. So what it does, it builds up. Say builds up. And that's what we're doing this morning. As I'm speaking to you, the word of God, it's building you up. Right? So prophecy strengthens or slash edification, edifies, it builds up. Prophecy also encourages. That's exhortation. That's it stirs up. It only builds up, but it stirs up. In other words, it's, it's a motivation to action in one's spiritual growth. It encourages you, not discourages you. Got it? So it strengthens, it builds up, it encourages, stirs up, and it comforts, it cheers up. Got it? Say build up, say stir up, say cheer up. It gives us the assurance, I love this, friends, comfort, the assurance of God's presence, of God's peace, of God's love, and of God's care. And from these three terms, we get a well-rounded picture of what it means to speak to others in the church for, listen now, their common good. Got it? Verse 4, are you still with me? Say, say amen. Okay. Verse 4, he who speaks in a tongue, listen now, edifies himself. Did you get that? Underline that. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies who? The church. One is primarily to edification of self. The other is primarily to the edification of others. I'm going to say it again. One is primarily to edification of self. The other is primarily to the edification of others. Now, I know some of you are probably thinking right now, you're thinking right now, Pastor, I thought the gifts of the Spirit were for the building up of the whole body, not for self, but for everyone. Well, what we have in tongues is an exception to the rule. Now listen, because the gift of tongues is a gift primarily for self-edification, that's what Paul says, right? Not church edification, but for self-edification, it has a limited use in the church, in the church. And we will see later in the text what those limitations are, okay? Verse 5. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues. He didn't say, listen, he didn't say everyone should speak in tongues. What did he say? I would like or wish like every one of you 
to speak in tongues. Listen what he says. But I would rather have you what? Prophesy. Why? He who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless he interprets so that the what? Church. Say church. Maybe what? Edify. Now remember the context is in the church. Friends, you got to get this now. Context is important. We can't take things out of context. We've got to study this in context. So in, 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 remember, the context is in the church. So Paul's point is it's better to understand what I'm saying through prophecy than through speaking in a tongue. And Paul sees prophecy as better for the church as a whole. The focus here is that the church may receive edification more than the individual. And by the way, and I want you to get this, an interpretation, listen now, an interpretation of tongues is not prophecy. It's not prophetic. It's not a prophetic word. Rather, it's prayer and praise to God. It's like a psalm, like a hymn, like an expression of love and adoration and thanksgiving. That's what it is. So we always have a lesson. Here's a lesson. Be others-centered. Write that down. Be others-centered. Be others-centered. When it comes to the use of our spiritual gifts, our emphasis, listen, friends, our emphasis shouldn't be on who gets more attention. Our emphasis should be on how we are helping, uh, helping and affecting others, how we are helping building others up. Say edification. Building up number two is comprehension. Write that down. He wants to give us an understanding. Say comprehension. Look at verses 6 through 8. Now, brothers, if I come to you and speak in tongues, what good will I be to you? Now, notice, I want to stop there. He describes different ways. As we move forward right now, notice what he's going to do. He's, he describes different ways he might communicate which would be edifying to others. Let's read on. Unless, he says, first of all, now, brothers, if I come to you and speak in tongues, what good will I be to you? Unless I bring you some, what? Revelation or knowledge or prophecy or word of instruction. In other words, Paul's saying, you won't receive any profit from me unless you understand what I'm saying so you can apply it to your lives. Verse 7 even in the case of lifeless things that make sounds, this is what he's saying, such as a flute or a harp. How will anyone know what tune is being played unless there is a what? A what? Distinction in the notes. Again, verse 8, if, if the trumpet does not sound a clear call, who will get ready for battle? So Paul's point here is there should be intelligibility, understanding, and he uses music and the military as an example. You can't sing along melody of music unless it's played right, right? You, you got to understand the melody. Those in war, as he's referring to military, there's certain calls that the, that the trumpet or the bugle plays that they understand. Is it really to go to war or just to kind of just be at ease? They need to understand that. Verses 9 through 17, so it is with you. So it is with you, he says, unless you speak intelligible words with your tongue, how will anyone know what you are saying? This is what he says. You will just be speaking into the air. 
Verse 10, undoubtedly, there are all sorts of languages in the world, yet none of them is without meaning. Verse 11, if then I do not grasp the meaning of what someone is saying, I am a foreigner to the speaker, and he is a foreigner to me. Verse 12, so it is with you. He says that again, so it is with you. Since you are eager to have spiritual gifts, try to excel. Listen to what he says, friends. Since you are eager to have spiritual gifts, nothing wrong with that, okay? Nothing wrong with that. Try to excel in gifts that what? Build up the church. Build up the church. Verse 13, for this reason, the one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may what? Interpret what he says. So why? So people will understand what he's saying. Verse 14, now you got, Paul says this, for if I pray in a tongue, my spirit, he says, my spirit prays. So Paul again, notice Paul again emphasizes the function of the gift of tongues to communicate, to communicate excuse me, to God, not to man. For I, if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but this is what he says, but my mind is unfruitful. My understanding is unfruitful. What is he saying there? Now, now, I don't speak in tongues, so I probably don't know exactly what that means. Maybe you guys do who speak in tongues, and that's cool, amen. What does he say? I think this is what he's saying, that my understanding, Paul said, that my, my mind, my understanding is unfruitful to all others because they don't understand my prayers. They don't understand what I'm saying. Paul, therefore, concluded that what he did, he would do with both understanding and the Spirit. Why? Because he wanted those in the church to benefit from what he said. Listen to what he says. Let's move on to establish what I just said. So what shall I do? Well, here we go. I will pray with my spirit, but I will also pray with what? Mind, my understanding. I will sing with my spirit, but I'll also sing with my what? Mind, understanding. Do you get that? Why? Because he wants them to understand what he's saying, what he's singing. Verse 16, if you are praising God with your spirit, how can one who finds himself among those who do not understand say amen to your thanksgiving since he does not know what you are saying? In other words, how can someone say what you're saying if they don't understand what you're saying and how can they say amen to what you're saying? That's what he's saying. Okay? Verse 17, you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other man is not edified. In other words, Paul's saying you're not going to edify the church if the people don't understand you. Right? Verse 18. Listen to what he says. This is Paul. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Now, perhaps they knew that he did. Perhaps they didn't know that he didn't know, but he, he made it known. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. So this is interesting. I want you to follow me here, okay? Here Paul makes it known that he speaks in tongues, right? More than any of the Corinthian believers, right? But yet, we never read in the Scriptures, never once read in the Scriptures that Paul stood up in the church and spoke in tongues. So this begs the question. Where did Paul exercise the gift of tongues? I believe, I could be wrong, I believe it's safe to say that he did it in private, in his own personal devotional time as he worshiped God. So let's put this in context, okay? It's always in context. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Verse 19, here we go. But in the church. Say that. 
I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Are you getting the context? Paul's emphasizing the importance of ministering only in intelligible ways. The reason why he says this is because his desire, Paul's desire as, as a preacher, as a pastor, as a shepherd, was to instruct and build others up in their faith. Now I want to say this. Paul in no way is discouraging the Corinthian believers of the use of tongues. He made it clear that he spoke in tongues, right? He made that clear. He spoke in tongues. So we know that he wasn't against the practice of the gift. The difference was that he didn't do it in the church. His focus, priority in the church was what? To speak to the congregation in their own language so they could understand. Because preaching and teaching the word of God and prophesying and praying and reading scripture and singing in the common language is the best way to build up the body of Christ. Amen? Now, if you're safe, say amen. As you read this chapter, chapter 14, in its context, say context, you will have to come to the conclusion that the best use of the gift of tongues is not in public worship. On occasion, that would be the exception, not the rule. The best use of the gift of tongues is in private worship. Okay? Verse 20. Brothers, stop thinking like children. Why do he say that? Stop thinking like children. They were acting like little children with a new toy in abusing the gift of tongues. And what Paul is doing, Paul is exhorting them to grow up and get a biblical perspective on the whole issue of tongues. Let's read on. In regard to evil, be infants, babes, but in your thinking, be adults. In other words, in respect to evil, Paul is saying, these Corinthians were to be, be what? Infants, babes. But in respect to tongues, they were to grow up and be mature when it comes to understanding to put tongues in their proper perspective. You see, God expects us to understand how these gifts operate, okay? Right? In chapter 12, verse 1, chapter 12, verse 1, remember Paul said this, I do not want you to be ignorant of spiritual gifts. So we cannot be ignorant about spiritual gifts. God wants us, you and I, the church, listen now, to be mature in understanding how this operates. And that's what we're learning, right? Verses 21 through 25. Paul kind of loses us a bit here. In the law, it is written, through men of strange tongues and through the lips of foreigners, I will speak to this people, but even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. So Paul just quoted Isaiah 28, verses 11 through 12. Write that down. Isaiah chapter 28, verses 11 through 12. Read on, verse 22. Tongues then, this is what he says, tongues then are a sign not for believers, but for who? unbelievers. Prophecy, however, is for believers, not for unbelievers. So if the whole church comes together and everyone speaks in tongues and some, some who do not understand or some unbelievers come in, will they not say that you are out of your mind? In other words, are you crazy? Verse 24. But if an unbeliever or someone who does not understand comes in while everybody is prophesying, he will, listen, listen now, he will be convicted by all that he is a sinner and will be judged by all. And the secrets of his heart will be laid bare so he will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really among you. 
that cool? But again, what, what in the world is Paul saying here? It seems kind of contradictory, right? Well, let's go back to verse 22. Tongues then are a sign for who? For, not for believers, but for who? Unbelievers. Okay, when it was a sign that they're crazy? No, but then prophecy, however, is for believers, not for unbelievers. So let's put this into context, okay? And we put this into context in the context of Isaiah chapter 28, verses 11 through 12, where he says, Through men of strange, okay, through men of strange tongues and through the lips of foreigners, I will speak to this people, but even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. So I want to, I want to give you the background on this. The prophet Isaiah announces judgment to the people of Israel. And friends, they didn't receive the word of the prophets who spoke to them in Hebrew. That's clear speech. They understood Hebrew, right? They're Hebrews, right? Clear speech. So through the prophets, they warned the Israelites about God's judgment. So now they will hear, they didn't, they did, didn't listen to, the, to God's words to, to clear speech. So now they will hear the voice of men with other tongues and other lips. The Assyrian... The Assyrians, the Assyrian invaders spoke a language the Israelites couldn't understand. That's unclear speech. And it was an example of judgment, judgment to the Israelites. So I want you to follow me here. Clear speech, clear speech was a sign of God's blessings to them, giving them the opportunity, a chance to repent. On the other hand, unclear speech, unclear speech is a sign of judgment. Got it? So you got it. So what Paul is saying in the text is that tongues are a sign for unbelievers that they stand under the judgment of God. Follow me. The results of the two gifts, tongues and prophecy, either confirm an unbeliever in his or her unbelief or convert that unbeliever into a believer. Tongues do not convert. Prophecy does. Got it? Back to the text. But if an unbeliever or someone who does not understand comes in while everybody is prophesying, he will be convicted by all that he is a sinner and will be judged by all. And the secrets of his heart will be laid bare so he will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really among you. Do you guys get it? It's the best I can interpret for you. Okay? Edification, comprehension, number three is instruction. Say that. Say instruction. What Paul does now, after he gives his dissertation here on this chapter, Paul now gives instructions for conducting the worship service. Verses 26 through 33a. Stay with me now. What then shall I say? There he says it again. That, what then shall I say, brothers? When you come together, everyone has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. All of these must be done for the what? For what? Say it. The strengthening of what? Church. Verse 27, if anyone speaks in a tongue, listen to what he says now, if anyone speaks in a tongue, two or at the most, how many? Three should speak. One at a time. And someone must what? Interpret. Verse 28, if there is no interpreter, the speaker should what? Keep quiet in the church and speak to himself and to God. I want to stop there. Some of you guys don't know this, but I was raised in a Baptist church for many years, and then I left the Baptist church, and then I went to the uh, 
Pentecostal church for seven years after that, and I saw good and bad in both. The thing that I, I couldn't grasp in the Pentecostal church was that, well, first of all, when I went to Pentecostal church, I learned to worship God freely. I just, just to worship him and love him and express my emotions to him. I learned that in the Pentecostal church. The issue I had was because I, was, I, I tried to be a student of the word of God was when the people, when I was part of those services, you had all these people speaking in tongues all at once and there was no interpreter. And, and I didn't have the gift and I was asking people, where's the interpreter? And they would never ask, I said, why isn't someone interpreting this? And, and they would say, well, it's just God just moving in us. I said, well, but biblically, I don't know. I don't know about that. Because that's contrary to God's rules for the use of tongues. It's unbiblical. The rule is when tongues are used, they must what? Be controlled. And no more than three should speak one at a time, and there should be what? An interpreter. Right? And I saw that a lot happening in the churches that I went to. I'm like, okay, praise God, you guys, you know, but, but, but it's not biblical. And it, and it caused confusion and, and chaos. Now, I want to say this. And, and God brought this to my mind today, okay? Because here at Crowd, we ask you to, you have to get the tongues to do it privately, not corporately. But, but I want to say this, okay? I believe it's totally appropriate to simply use the gift of tongues in the church quietly, quietly, without interpretation. Why did I come to that conclusion? Because I have to stick to the word. If there is no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet in the church, right? And speak to himself and to God, quietly. There are people in our church who I love, and they have the gift of tongues. And I appreciate the fact that I know that they do it quietly here. And that's so cool. And I love the fact that they're not distracting. They're not bringing attention to themselves. Right there, it's appropriate to quietly speak to the Lord in your spiritual language. Can I, can I get an amen? Verse 29 Two or three prophets, he's giving the rules here of prophets, prophecy should speak, and the others should weigh carefully, get this now, and the others should weigh carefully what is said. That might be those who have the gift of discernment. The lesson, here's the lesson, ready? Test all things. Test all things, man. Hey, hey, Christians, look at me. Test all things. Don't just welcome everything. Okay, are you with me? Test all things. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 21. 1 Thessalonians 5, 21 says, Test all things. Hold fast to what is good. 1 John 4, verses 1 through 3. In 1 John 4, 1 through 3, John says that we have the responsibility to test the spirits received are from God. How can you tell something is from God? Well, guess what? The best tool you have is God's word. If it doesn't line up with God's word, guess what? It's not of God. Okay? But it sounds good. If it, listen, if it doesn't line up with God's word, I don't care how good it sounds. If it doesn't line up with God's word, it is not of God. Verse 30. If you're still with me, say amen. And if, I, and if a revelation comes to someone who is sitting down, the first speaker should stop. Why? I'll tell you why. Because this prevents competition of speaking over one another. If you got it, say got it. 
prevents competition of speaking over one another. Verse 31, for you can all prophesy in turn so that, listen to what he says, for you all can prophesy in turn so that everyone may be instructed and encouraged. So it's preaching and teaching the word of God, right? It's, it's sharing the scriptures with the whole body so the what? whole body will be edified. Verse 32, the spirits of the prophet are subject to the control of prophets. What's he saying? He's saying this, it always remains under the prophet's control. Can't say, well, I just, I got out of control. I, I couldn't control myself. No, 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 no. Galatians 5, 23, Galatians 5, 23. There, one of the manifestations of the fruit of the Spirit is what? Self-control. It's not outside the speaker's ability to stop and wait their turn because it's controllable. How do, how, do we, how, how do we know that? Well, let's read the next verse, verse 33. Because for God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. Listen, friends, if there is disorder, if there is confusion within the body of Christ, the church, it's not the Holy Spirit at work. It's not. We've got to be discerning. Verses 33b through 35 this is what he says, as in all the congregations of the saints, this is what Paul says, women should, verse 34, women should remain silent in the churches. They are not allowed to speak, but must be in submission as the law says. If they want to inquire about something, they should ask their own husbands at home, for it is disgraceful for a woman to speak in the church. Whoa. I want to say this. That phrase, women should remain silent in the church, is not a blanket statement. Are you with me? It doesn't mean women shouldn't speak at all in the church. Remember back in chapter 11, verse 5? What did Paul say? He said, well, you know, he tells us that women were praying and prophesying in the church. So this is not forbidding women to speak in the church. Apparently what happened right here in the text there were some women who were out of order by disrupting the worship service, asking their husband out loud, out loud about something, wanting them to give spiritual instruction to them. It was kind of like this. Hey, babe. I don't know if they said, hey, babe, but it could have been. Husband, was that right what the preacher just said out loud? And Paul says, wait until you get home to ask him. Discuss it when you get home. And by the way, by the way, you know what this implies? See, because as men, we can read this and say, oh, yes. You know? you know what this implies? That Christian husbands should know the word of God well enough to give answers to their wives. Sad to say, in many church families, it's the wife who has to teach the husband. Listen, men, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Listen now. If she has been saved longer than you, prays better than you, studies more than you, you are to find the answers and you are to lead her spiritually. We need more men who will lead their wives and their families spiritually. Are you with me? That's a whole study in itself. Verses 36 and 38, we're almost wrapping this up. Did the word of God originate with you? Are you... Or are you the only people 
it has reached. So Paul's being a little sarcastic here. And he says, verse 37, if anybody thinks he is a prophet or spiritually gifted, let him acknowledge that what I'm writing to you is the Lord's command. Verse 38, if he ignores this, he himself will be ignored. In other words, you want to be stupid, be stupid. That's what he's saying. In other words, if anyone thinks himself to be able to speak for God, Paul says that he should acknowledge his, Paul's, authority in these matters. They ought to know that, in fact, Paul is giving God's commands on these issues of the gifts. And you know here, Paul, what he does, Paul gives the strongest affirmation to the authority of his instructions concerning gifts, particularly prophecy in tongues. Verse 39, therefore, my brothers, be eager to prophesy. Why? 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 Because what? It edifies everyone. Yeah? And do not forbid speaking in tongues. I'm going to read this all again to you. Therefore, my brothers, be eager to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues. Remember, remember, do not forbid speaking in tongues. Remember, there's a context for that. And though Paul will carefully regulate the use of tongues in the church, he will not forbid it at the same time. He will encourage its use in one's personal devotion. Verse 40. But everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. Why? Because God is not a God of disorder, but a God of peace. You see, order in worship reflects, get this now, order in worship reflects the character of God. He's a God of order. Not chaos, not confusion. He's a God of order. And if you're saved, say amen. Whatever is done in the church is to be done orderly, decently, and properly so as to bring the most glory to God and to edify the whole church. Now I'm going to just close with this. I want to say this. If the exercise of a gift presents itself in a way that draws attention to self, that disregards the edification of the body, that conducts itself in an indecent or improper manner and promotes confusion, it's not being used in love. Follow, what did Paul say in verse 1? Follow the way of Yeah, let's pray.